Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Maxwell, and I'm flying solo on this interview or on this uh, on this intro today because me and Jacob are both getting ready to travel down to uh, Perdido. Let's see, I guess it's Perdido, Florida, right next to Pensacola. We're gonna be right next to Pensacola uh, for a backcountry hunters and anglers event down there. That should be a lot of fun. Meet a lot of cool guys. Hopefully do a little bit of fishing, but I'm going to keep this intro pretty short. This is episode number 31, and we just finished up our Western series. So this week, we are transitioning more into whitetails. I'm sure that everybody listening right now has got whitetails on the mind. So do we. Uh, You know, this midsummer time that we're in is probably the best time to really prepare yourself for the upcoming season, meaning 
whatever work you put in right now is going to pay huge dividends later in the year. Because, you know, if you wait until October to start scouting, you know, you're, you're probably not going to have that great of a deer season. So it's really important to get out there now, find the stuff you need to find, find the trees that are producing acorns, find the fruit trees, find the beds, find the trails, get all that stuff out of the way so you can leave your spots alone early this season. So that's kind of the sum of the stuff that we talked about in this episode. So this episode's going to be a little unique in the fact that we uh, we recorded this on a riverbank when we were fishing. So you might hear some frogs in the background. Uh, you know, audio's not, I mean, it's not bad, but it's just a little different. You're going to hear, you know, the, the sounds of the woods at night. You know, uh, we were recording this on the bank of the Cahaba River. We were sitting there trying to catch some catfish. <laughs> not having too much luck, but we had a good time. And in this episode, we just really talk about deer hunting. We talk about... Uh, kind of last year what we had go down last year and what we're planning on doing this year and we talk about uh things like how to keep your cameras from getting stolen on public land that's a big one because i think this is my sixth year on public and i still haven't had a camera stolen so we're going to go over that uh we're going to go over some uh setups that we like to use for hunting on public land how we how we get into these areas way back in there that might hold these deer that we're after uh, what kind of setups we need to do that, you know, rather than just climbers, but like lock-ons and stuff like that. Uh, we talk about getting pictures of bucks in the summertime. So, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this right now, I know we got a lot of listeners in Georgia and Mississippi and Tennessee. Um, I think Mississippi is now a CWD state because I know y'all had one case. So as CWD kind of marches this its way to towards this part of the country, you're going to see more... Uh, baiting laws passed where they're going to outlaw baiting, they're going to outlaw mineral sites to kind of slow the spread of CWD, which is understandable, but it's pretty inconvenient for somebody who's, you know, that's what they rely on in late summer. So we kind of address that a little bit. And if you're if you're a public land guy like me or Jacob or our friend Zach, who's also in this podcast, you're not allowed to to bring corn or whatever or mineral blocks out on the public land anyways. So it's like, what do you what do you do to get a bunch of pictures of deer? You can put it on a trail, but, I mean, you know, you might get a deer travel on that trail two, maybe three times a week if you're lucky, if it's a real good trail. So we kind of address how we go about getting a whole bunch of buck pictures without the use of any minerals or bait in late summer. And this works great for us. Uh, we discuss it pretty early on in the podcast. I think I got like seven different bucks on camera in one spot using this method last year in September. So we'll discuss that a little bit, some... Uh, we, I think we also discussed some scent tactics and stuff, but I'll just let you guys get into it. It's a really good episode. We really enjoyed it. But be watching for these next few episodes because we're going to be heavily focused on whitetails. Anything you want us to talk about, we will talk about as long as you just let us know. All right? So let us know what you want to hear. We'll put it out there for you, and uh, hopefully we'll keep producing some high-quality content for you guys. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That helps us out. And also, it's easier for you because the podcast just comes right to your phone as soon as we drop it. So every Monday you'll get a new episode. And we will announce it next week, but we have something big coming down the line for this fall that I think that people are really, really, really going to like. So we'll announce that on next week's episode. Be watching out for that. Uh, And let us know what you want to hear in these next coming weeks. But without me flapping my gums any longer, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, <laughs> we're out here on the Cahaba River tonight. Me and Jacob and our friend Zach Eccles are out here attempting to catch a catfish, but 
if we depended on our fishing skills, we would starve because we have broken two lines and lost a lot of bait. But with that being said, Jacob, how are you enjoying this fine, beautiful night on the Cahaba? I mean, the stars look good, but man, it is humid. It's hot. It is uh, something else. Oh, I'm tempted to go jump in the water during this episode, so uh might be hearing some splashing going on if I get quiet. Uh, yeah. But no, it's just, it's good, man. Might hear a fire popping in the background it, it, there. Just then, yeah. yeah. Zach, uh, about you, man? I'm enjoying it, man. I haven't gotten away from work in a long time, and it's good to be out here. And the fire was a pain to get going. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So, so, yeah, we want to thank Munchos for our fire. They sponsored our fire tonight. <laughs> Great fire starters if you're looking yeah, for Yeah, so them. Muncho chips are about two bucks. And they're Tater great. Chips. Yeah, they're they're great for starting a fire because we did not expect it to have rained down here, but it did. And uh, it was kind of a pain to start it, but the munchos saved the day. So shout out to munchos. <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting. You know, again kind of being down here and uh attempting, again like you said, to catch some catfish, but uh you know, just having a good time. I, I just kind of got back today from Dallas. So kind of hauled on back down here from Nashville and doing a little fishing today. And then we got some other stuff going on this weekend. It's Father's Day weekend. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hopefully it's going to go pretty good tonight. We can catch some fish on this episode. It would absolutely be a blast. Uh, yeah, man. Maybe have a little bit of a, I don't know, unexpected shouting going on and excitement. We can get a fish on. Uh, Hopefully, excitement. Yeah, fish on the shore. Yeah, at yeah. least it's relaxing. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I might have a snake crawl right up, right next to us, and you hear some people screaming, shouting, gunshots yeah. in the back from Zach, Mister No Shoulders, coming yeah. up trying to get some body warmth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he ain't got to worry about getting warm tonight. It's it's toasty, it's humid. He but could just curl up next to the fire, and he'd be fine. That, that's fine as long as he don't curl up next to me. We're good to go. Yeah, that's right. But uh, anyway, well, you know. We're all kind of thinking now, what are we doing this fall? You know, whitetails yeah. and kind of what we got going on. Uh, maybe where we're trying to go hunt, and then also, uh, you know, kind of what's our game plan and how we're going to go about executing some of that. So yeah, yeah, man. Halfway through summer, this is where I really start getting excited about whitetails because a lot of the work for me starts this time of year, like early July, going through August. Uh, me and Zach are going to go out tomorrow to where we filmed the YouTube video that dropped in May. We're going to go back to that spot where we found those buck beds, put out a camera, and uh, probably leave it until the end of August, hopefully, unless I just can't help myself and get back in there. Um, decide an uh, entry route for that specific area and see how it goes this fall. That's the same spot that we had all those encounters last year where... I, I forgot how many bucks we saw, but me and Jacob both missed bucks over there. Mm -hmm. Southern outdoorsman. Can't yeah. hit a deer. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, we're, we are great at, like tonight, you know, killing time and catching colds. Uh, That's right. So, you know, by far not the greatest outdoorsman, but uh, we are definitely passionate about it. Which, I mean, it's, it's always good because, you know, you learn stuff as you go and kind of can relate with a lot of individuals and a lot of people about, you know, what works and what doesn't work and how not to make stupid decisions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that yeah. kind of maybe will hinder your success. But, um, well, yeah. let's, let's, let's get into it. This is a good time of year to kind of reflect on what we learned last season and apply that to this season. 
So me and Zach both have hunted this specific parcel um, probably for five years now, I guess. Yeah, I'd say right about freshman year high school we started really hitting it hard. Yeah, it's, we've been on it for a while. We've learned a lot, and it's just kind of been a journey. We've had this one area that we've had problems with, and we've been on deer, big deer, every single year, but finding them's been a been a problem. And Zach, you you had a lot of luck out there this year. I mean, you saw, I think, how many bucks did you think you see? Um, on this specific parcel, I saw six this year. Yeah. Um, now that's not to say maybe one or two were the same because. A few of them were moving fairly quickly, <laughs> um, but I learned a lot about that specific area, and I think I owe that a lot, or owe most of that success to my summer scouting. Uh, I put boots on the ground way earlier this season, or last season than I did before, and it, it really showed. I mean, it, it made my season go way smoother having having that knowledge beforehand. Well, yeah. Well, talking about that, let's, let's, kind of, let's kind of jump into that because, you know, the topic right now is guys are looking at running cameras over the summertime and going through, you know, fall, and you had success with that because let's talk about that one deer that, you, that you've, that you know, monarch. got to get the, Yeah, the monarch, the, the, the absolute public land stud who uh, we've had some pretty good feedback on uh, our social media platforms. Uh, the deer that if he walks out in front of me, there's a 100% chance that I'd miss it. 100%. Especially, especially with a bow. Especially with a bow. Oh, God. Man, be shaking so hard. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great deer. I mean, so let's talk about, first of all, a little bit about that deer and maybe a little bit about that area. Um, what what gave you the success to, first of all, be able to put a camera in there? Was it by luck, or did you find something in the area where you were running cameras that really, uh, you know, helped your success level at least go up, or at least confidence-wise that you might get a good picture of a good deer in there? Well, I mean... This is a spot I'd been in multiple times, whether it was deer hunting or small game hunting or anything. And I don't know, there's that one area, there's always been a ton of sign, but we've never had any luck actually catching something through there. And that's that's really, it got me thinking about what missing, or what missing pieces of the puzzle we may have to help bring everything together. Um, that was a central location, there was Real thick pines close by. There's a ridge top real close by. Um, there was a real good creek bottom that's always torn up with rubs and scrapes. Um, I just kind of picked right in the middle and hoped and stuck a camera out. And it wasn't the next day when I got got the monster and he came back multiple times. And he's been elusive ever since. You were on some scrapes in there, weren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. And but those didn't show up until after I had my camera out. So. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk a little bit more about that. So, like, let's talk about kind of like trail cam placement. I know that's a topic that a lot of people are really wondering about, especially when it's on public land. It really, what to be looking for to be able to put a camera out to really have, have success, kind of like what you did. Uh, you know, you kind of found a, a central hub around a whole bunch of different activity that kind of just made sense to put a camera there, and you, you know, got, got the opportunity to be able to get that buck on camera a couple different times. And, you know, that's one thing that a lot of people, I think, kind of struggle with because they're like I'm just gonna put a camera out, and they just put it on one trail yeah. well unless there's a certain reason you're gonna put on that one trail whether you're seeing a lot of buck sign in that area or something like that it's really I mean that's there's so many trails out here especially in the south oh, yeah. you know you're hunting thick pines and around here trails stand out pretty well I mean you'll see a big trail and you're like man it's a good looking trail but man deer might use that you know in the spring or summertime mm -hmm. they might not even use in the fall but it stands out the whole year because oh, yeah. nothing really disturbs that trail 
Uh, so I think that's huge about trying to find the right location. Yeah. And I know Andrew, you've had you know success with it. I've had success with it too in certain aspects in certain areas. Yeah. Uh, so I think we ought to talk about that just real quick on this maybe just uh, you know trail trail camera placement and also maybe also on, a, on another note how to put trail cameras out on public land to keep them from getting stolen because I know it's a hot topic. You know, guys are always worried about putting cameras out and getting them stolen. I know you and me kind of worked out a system that works pretty well, I think. Yeah, well, let's start with the keeping it from getting stolen. Okay, okay. So what we've started doing is we, we use, like, mobile, quote-unquote, run-and-gun setups. We both use Lone Wolf. We love Lone Wolf. Uh, we'll take, like, one or two of those sticks that go with the stand in there and put them up on the tree and get up, you know, 8 to 10 feet and hang the camera eight to 10 feet up on the tree and put a stick or something behind it to angle it downwards. So most people don't see it, but if they do see it, they're not gonna be able to reach it. But I mean, if they really want it, they're gonna be able to get it. Yeah. But, but yeah. Part of the well, well yeah. like, and I see I've had a success doing that, especially in a creek bottom that I knew there was a chance for another hunter to be able to come in there or that was either scouting or hunting and possibly find a camera in this one creek bottom. Just because it kind of stood out, but I knew there'd be deer in there, and I did that exact same thing. I took two lone wolf sticks and hung my camera up about nine feet up, angled it down, and got a picture of a pretty good buck coming through there along with a bunch of other does kind of working the area. Um, and I, I think that's huge. That's one thing that a lot of people don't think about is trying to elevate their stand. And, or elevate their camera up away from that, you know, that the peering eyes of other hunters and other, you know, people out there in the woods. And like you said, you know, someone really wanted it, they could probably get it. But my thing is, my kind of technique when I'm hanging a camera up in a tree, I try to find a tree that's gonna be hard for them to climb. First of all, first of all, with a stand like a like a climber, and also something that might be difficult to climb. You know, just one person trying to go up, shimmy up the tree. So I try to find actually a smaller tree. I try to find a tree that may or may not be able to handle a weight of, you know, someone that's trying to shimmy up it. And, you know, I might try to get there with some sticks and it might be a little sketchy, but once I get the camera up there, I, I pretty much don't have to worry about anyone trying to, uh, you know, mess with my camera. Uh, but I think that's, that's huge. Again, not many people are looking up when they're scouting, uh, unless they're squirrel hunting, that's about it. Um, so I think that's absolutely huge, is be able to hang your cameras up high like that and kind of keep them outside of uh, the vision of other people. Plus, I don't think the deer notice them as much. I mean, sometimes you have yeah. a camera low, Especially if you're using certain infrared cameras, something like that, you always some. It seems like the cam, the deer look at the camera sometimes and may or may not get spooked. But when you put them up in the tree like that, they don't they don't ever notice. I mean, you get a pretty cool angle. Of what's really going on? Yeah, that brings to mind about like spooking deer. I had a cheap Primos camera, and it was the first time I wanted to try video. Zach, you remember this? Oh yeah. And it was in the same general area that we got a picture of Zach's big deer, and I put that camera there. Uh, it was kind of a natural corridor. It's near where you saw that really big buck this year. Uh, it comes right out of that funnel. And I put the camera right there, and I put it on video, and I had two big bucks, or one really big buck and one pretty decent buck, uh, whose deadhead we found. After this episode drops, I'll post a picture of that deadhead. Really, really nice 10-point, especially for Alabama on public land. But, uh, yeah, man, they came in front of the camera, broad daylight, and the video switches on and they both just stop and turn and look at the camera and like stare at it hard. And then they kind of hurry out of there. And then I get some pictures of, or videos of does coming through. And they do the same thing except this doe walks up, video starts, it goes for about two seconds and she turns and looks at the camera and just turns around and bolts. And I saw that and I was like, yep, I'm gonna go pull that camera right now. <laughs> That's what I did. 
Yeah, so. that, that's one of those things. I think definitely certain aspects of some of these cameras, whether it's some of the infrared cameras or whatever, I, I think they either see the little red light when it pops on or something that kind of catches their eyes and kind of makes them a little wary. I've heard it's like they can like hear it or sense it or so, something like that. Yeah, maybe. They can somehow pick up the signal that it's putting out. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but... Yeah, I'm not really sure about the whole infrared thing. I don't like it. And, you know, they sell a lot of cameras that are supposed to be blackout cameras. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much truth there is to that. But really, when I, I used to sell a lot of those cameras where I used to work. And most of them, which I don't know about all of them, but most of them aren't really anything special. And Zach used to sell them too. Yeah. Where when it says blackout, it's the same bulbs and everything in there. But it's uh, it's got like a, a, it's pretty much a, a tinted, tinted lens. Yeah, a tinted lens on it. So it's maybe harder for the uh, deer to see, but I don't know, man. They're more expensive. I tend to not really worry about it. Yeah. I just, uh, like I said, hang them up in a tree. That's right. what I'm going to do tomorrow. Well, okay, let's, let's talk about kind of, you know, game camera, trail camera placement for success and kind of what y'all's game plan is going tomorrow of hanging some of these, you know, hanging the camera in around some beds. So let's talk about that first. You know, kind of like what's worked for us in the past on getting bucks on camera. I know number one thing for me, finding a funnel, okay? Especially early season, like or like in the off season, you know, summertime. You know, deer are going to be using the funnels. They haven't been pressured. They're, they're going to be doing the most active thing possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I love finding gaps in fences uh, That's that's been, you know, heavily used. I've had extremely good success with that. Yeah. Um, and also just finding where a bunch of different timber kind of comes together where, you know, you have like maybe a big cedar patch kind of has a point that kind of comes into like a, a hardwood bottom and you have like a pine ridge that kind of comes up and joins it. Like an area right there, you can find out where a bunch of trails kind of come together and you find a bunch of sign in that area. Yeah. It's really good for, you know, running cameras and same thing. You know, it's one of those things you really don't want to run a camera just in a wide open bottom or a wide open ridge unless you find a, a, a corridor or something that really kind of funnels those deer coming through there. Because um, I mean, the likelihood of you staying up on the on the, a good trail or the right trail—that's you know, there's a ton of them. You know, the likelihood of having a good deer come by there, you know, is, is slim. I mean, you're yeah. you're playing the, a game of numbers uh, with that, um, and your odds are very you know not very high unless unless you really know the area and you really think the deer really use that one exact trail. Yeah, um, yeah, I so. hear that. Um, yeah, what you said about fences, man, I really like that because. You know, we don't really hunt a lot of agricultural areas, but a lot of these public lands that we're on, especially when you get into flatter areas, uh, flatter, you know, maybe around swamps or maybe just not really a hilly region of your state, mm -hmm. a lot of times, way back when, that used to be a pasture at some point, uh, just because pretty much everything down here has been cut and farmed or whatever at some point. And you'll find a barbed wire fence running through the middle of big giant trees in the swamp. And, man, if you can find that and find where the fence has been knocked down at some point, that's some of my best ever spots that I've found. Uh, kind of difficult to find, but if you can find them, they're great. But I like putting cameras on scrapes, man. That's something that me and Zach talked about a lot last year when we were preparing. And when we got, when you got pictures of the deer in your area, and I, I was getting pictures of deer in my area uh, on scrapes, and they're using these scrapes, man. I mean, that was what, August, I think? Yeah, well, yeah. Let, well let's talk about that because that's one thing that a lot of people, especially in the South, they have the, mis you know, the, the, the misinformation of 
deer are only using scrapes, bucks are only using scrapes, does are only using scrapes during the rut, which is absolutely 100% not true. And Andrew, I want you to kind of talk about that and talk about what you did last year about having so much success early on, I mean in August, getting bachelor groups of bucks coming in in September on camera, on scrapes. I would like to talk, you know, just talk about that for a second. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it on the YouTube video where deer will use scrapes year-round, but they don't use, you know, every scrape year-round. Some scrapes are just, I think, random, I guess. There's all kinds of studies out there you can look at on them, but the scrapes I'm talking about are your larger scrapes, and I typically want them to have, like, over three licking branches that are torn up. Not just the licking branch that's, you know, out there all green and everything, but, like, something that's twisted up and messed up from where a buck's, like, raked it with his antler. It's got tangled up in his antler and he's messed it up. And in the video, we showed a scrape that had, like, freaking, I don't know, eight licking branches or something. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff I look for, and I'll put a camera on that. And that's what they use all year. They might not scrape up the ground, and you might not have a big bare spot of dirt, but you can see that basically, basically line of of messed up licking branches right there. And they'll come and work those licking branches all the time throughout the early season, all year. But, you know, the closer you get to the rut, the more prominent it gets. Yeah. And I did that last year, and I got, I don't even know how many different bucks I got in the areas mm -hmm. that I was on, man. I mean, I think it was like, if I'm talking about this one specific scrape, I think I got seven different bucks on it throughout the month of September. Work in the scrape. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. You know, a lot of people thinking when you're you're, you're putting cameras on scrapes, like oh yeah, you know, putting you know rut, you know buck in a rut urine or doe, you know doe estrus urine. Dude, you can just pee in it. Well, I uh, swear uh, to God, man, you can pee in it. <laughs> now I know that's very controversial. You know, a lot of people, especially guys that are super super scent conscious. Uh, I'm not. You know, yeah, think, we've well, tested and it's, it's tried and true. Well, yeah, it, yeah I mean, I know y'all had success with that big buck doing the same thing. Uh, and some people think that, you know, human urine is something that deer kind of pick up on. And, you know, it, it will kind of like, whether it pushes them out of the area, makes them, you know, kind of spook or whatever. And then some people, kind of similar to us, kind of have tested it and seen that really that's not the case. Yeah. And, I mean, y'all, y'all, both of y'all have experience with that. I mean, on camera, getting big bucks on camera after peeing in a scrape. Hours and, after peeing in a scrape, and, and, yes. and I know a lot of people probably won't believe that because I know there's some stickers out there. You see them on social media. That Everyone's just, laughing at us right now. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> that's and, okay. And, I mean, it's, that, that's fine. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things that you really don't know until you try it. And it's just one of those things you kind of kind of – play out and see how it works for you i'll tell you what it's a lot cheaper than code blue well that too but also you know so so say you're, you're gonna run scrapes because like deer around here are not rutting until Jan december january and then pockets up until february okay um you know if you're catching bucks on scrapes you know in september i mean what are, what are you doing to be able to do that i mean are you putting them on this you're just finding a big scrape that looks promising or are you you know are you working it up at all yourself I'll make, dude i'll make mock scrapes and man if tiffany listens to this she'll be so embarrassed that i'm sitting here talking about peeing on scrapes but <laughs> but dude you can make a mock scrape and just pee in it and zach <laughs> i mean this is gross man people are laughing at us but like <laughs> zach i've seen you like hawk a loogie on the licking branch i mean it, and they'll work it dude yeah I mean, they're, they're curious animals, and anything that seems maybe not alerting but out of the ordinary, yeah, it seems like they're they're interested in it and they want to come check it out. And yeah, and I, I don't think I don't think they can. I don't think that if you like spit or pee or something in the woods, I just don't think 
like how would they know that's a person? It's just a new smell. You know, I've I've heard people talk about, you know, unless the deer like watched you take a leak and somehow smelled you and your piss at the same time and put two and two together. And saw you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just, I don't know if they're that smart, but it's like, I don't think that would happen because they'd hightail it out of there as soon as they saw you. Yeah. But like well, you just said, Zach, they're curious animals, and when they smell that, you know, it's just urine, you know. Well, let's, um, I've got another example. So, again, coming from my background, now I'm a little bit different from y'all, so coming from my background, I was always taught growing up with my uncle who got me into hunting that deer can smell freaking anything. Like, dude, you were like, you wash your clothes, freaking like after every hunt, same for your clothes. <laughs> you freaking spray that. You spray down vacuum to your vacuum Salem. Oh yeah, your vacuum. No, for real. In in big zip ziploc bags and big Tupperware containers, uh, or bins, and then you'd, you'd spray down to your own with soaking wet with whatever you know, dead down wind, sent away, whatever you're using, and then you go out there and you play the wind, and you would not pee in the stand. You'd use a bottle. And just like all that kind of stuff, dude. And I mean, that's we. I was taught that, you know, growing up, and you know, pretty strict. And you know, I was kind of like, even in high school, like I was a little scent freak. Would not ever pee in the woods while hunting or whatever, anything like that. And then I started having experiences where I'm like, I would do. It, I'm like, screw it. I'm, I'm peeing, and I would see deer, and like, they would either. I've been in the stands where you peed, and like deer would come by, and like not even worry, not even do anything. Uh, even though they might even be downwind of that location. Yeah. And even Mark Kenyon from Wire to Hunt. He's talked about on multiple podcasts about yeah, I've heard, him yeah. peeing out of a stand and literally having a mature buck walk up while he's peeing mm-hmm. and not, <laughs> and not no, like legit and like not spook, you know, within like 50, 60, 70 yards and not spook. And I'm like, it's stuff like that. It's like one of those things that <clears throat> it, it's hard to wrap your head around it because I know a lot of people that were trained and taught at a very young age that. You know, you don't ever do that. And then some people are like, screw it, I don't care. Like, I'm going to go smoke in the woods. I'm going to you know, go do a dip or whatever you're going to do and, you know, have success. I think it's really about, to be honest, whatever makes you comfortable. Whatever I think whatever makes you have the confidence to be able to do whatever you need to do to be successful, whatever gives you confidence, do it. I mean, if, yeah. if, if you're going to spray down, if you're going to do all this kind of stuff and you want to use Ozonics and all that kind of stuff or one of these other companies and you don't want to pee in the woods, and as long as it gives you confidence and you think you can kill deer, uh, that's dude, fine. Yeah, I was going to say, there's probably somebody listening to this right now who's killed a lot more mature deer than I have who is a scent control freak. And that's fine, man. I mean, people do it. I know, I think John Eberhardt is huge, Crazy. On, yeah, yeah, huge yeah. on scent control. And he claims that he can... He can not be smelled in the woods, basically. Uh, like, he's he's been in a situation where he should be busted, and he didn't get busted, and he thinks he owes that success to his scent lock. And he might be right, man. I don't know. I'm not saying he's wrong. That's just, I don't, honestly, I don't, I'm too lazy to go through that regiment. I, I don't have enough money to, like, buy a, a carbon suit yeah. and keep buying these scent control products. Well, the average guy can't. I mean, across the board, if you look at it, the average guy is not going to go through that step, those steps to be able to do that, where, you know, he's having this, you know, scent lock, you know, carbon suit that he's, you know, prepping every time before he goes out there. Yeah. Wearing it all the way out there and everything else he does. But, like, this is my, this is my thing for guys that are, like, super, super scent freaks. I'm all about playing the wind. Like, you know, I'll spray down yeah. still. I'll still kind of maybe believe in that. But to be honest, you, you cannot – not play the wind and try to be successful. Yeah, and unless the thermals. Well, I'll, I'll say. Go ahead. I, I have one spot in Arkansas. I will say this: I can hunt it with the wrong wind with a certain thermal. Deer are not going to smell me. Okay, I was about to Hands mention down. thermals, man. Because me and Zach, we keep talking about this area where we've had all these bucks, 
I think that one of the big things that's really screwed us over over these last few years is the thermals. Because mm-hmm. up until this year, we really didn't understand thermals. Me and Zach both this deer we season. We did. Yeah, yeah, we thought we understood them, but this past deer season is when we really figured them out. And we're like, oh, we had it backwards. Yep. It <laughs> Whoops. 180 degrees wrong. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things. I mean, again, I was taught thermals growing up, but like in the South, your perception of thermals, to me, the best the, the best hunters out <clears throat> there that truly understand thermals are Western hunters. Okay? Yeah, Because when yeah. they're dealing, especially if they're dealing in higher, out, higher elevation terrain, Thermals are huge. I mean, that makes or breaks a hunt, okay? Yeah. Out here in the South, it's one of those things that, like, you kind of, like, talk about, and guys think they know what they're talking about, but in, in all reality, they don't understand the functionality of it. And I'll give an example of that Arkansas spot. So, in Arkansas, I've got 2,500 acres I can hunt up there, and they they did a cut. They've done multiple different cuts on the property, and they cut one side of this huge ridge, okay? And the ridge runs straight east to west, okay? They cut the north-facing slope. Cut the whole thing for, like, 500 yards. And the deer are absolutely all over it. There's a bunch of different pinch points on it. It's absolutely a great spot. Bow or rifle. We killed multiple deer up there. Um, and the thing is, if I'm sitting there and I'm on the, the top side of the ridge, uh, you know, the high, top side of the ridge, facing north, and, you know, in reality, you're, you're wanting, you know, like a, like a northwest wind would be perfect for entrance and exit route. Well, if you get in there and that wind switches on the early morning, if, if it's a clear sky, clear blue sky, and, you know, real cold morning, but it's real sunny. You can sit there, and as long as it's, you know, a light breeze underneath, under about eight miles an hour, you can sit there in a climber, get about, you know, about 15 to 18 feet high, and you would literally watch your thermals go right over these deer that are right there in front of you. I'm talking 20, 30 yards in front of you, does, bucks, everything, and just go right over them. And we actually killed buck, we killed two deer like that last year, or I guess two years ago. Yeah. And uh, that same situation, you know, the wind was totally wrong. Where I was thinking about getting down, I'm like, let's just watch the thermals again, see how it is, because we killed a deer out of there with similar thermals. And I'm talking, it goes right over the top of them, because they're all down the side of the hill, and goes right over the top of them, goes straight north. And I'm like, the deer never smell you. And it's, it yeah. is an absolute foolproof place. I mean, you go in there, smell like a fraternity's rug or carpet, <laughs> and it, you would absolutely kill a deer with a bow. I mean, it's, if you get the thermals right, and you get in there clean, it's all about getting there clean, too, getting yeah, there early yeah. enough that the thermals can really work for you because if you get in there like right at sunrise or like you know right at gray light you're kind of kind of screwing yourself at the time just because you know that wind's kind of getting sucked down to that bottom but you get there early enough get high enough up and get situated man it's it can be dynamite um and that's the thing is just understanding thermals especially if you're in you know hillier country now if it's you know if you're hunting flat ground and you're hunting like south alabama or you're hunting uh you know some of the the delta in the delta or you're hunting you know out in the you know east arkansas where it's super flat that's not really going to you know affect you that much, unless you're around creeks. Uh, well, yeah, because yeah, cause your your scent, man, your scent will fall into a creek and it'll just be carried right, uh, basically over the water. Well, the cool thing about the creeks and everything is, and I, I've seen this, I've tested this using uh you know different um, wind testing devices. Milkweed, uh, man, gets you some milkweed. Hey, exactly. Well, the thing, the cool thing about you know the water, okay, it's cooler, it's cooler temperature, air temperature up above it. So the 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 air naturally draws down towards that water, and normally will actually you know follow the water down. Yeah. Uh, depending on the situation, especially if it's very very calm winds, that, that's the key. Yeah. Now if it's if it's you know over five six seven miles an hour wind, that may or may not affect you all that much, as in that, that draft going down towards the water. Uh, but if it's super super light winds, that can be absolutely huge. Even if it's a real small creek, I mean you can see it, especially you go out there and you test it, whether you're using milkweed, which milkweed is by far the, the best way to test it. 
or uh, you know test it with you know some uh, you know powder or whatever else you're going to use. Um, and, and that's another. Whoa, whoa, whoa! But with with powder, mm-hmm. you you get you get a, an idea of what the wind's doing right at your stand. Yeah. But I was going to say, uh, back in October when I absolutely should have shot a doe, um, I was sitting there in this little tight little bottom that uh, this creek comes up and it splits, and I'm sitting right in the. Like, if the creek forms a Y, I'm sitting, like, right in the crotch of the Y. Like, mm-hmm. right there where the creek splits. And um, these does came down the hill to the back side of me, straight downwind. And long story short, basically, uh, I was an idiot, and I assumed the second doe was the bigger one. And so I let the, the first one, which was actually the bigger one, get through my shot window and ended up not being able to kill it. But... I was like, man, what the heck? Like, how in the world did they come from back there and not bust me? So I pulled out the milkweed, and I started dropping it. And it basically floated in their direction for about 10 yards. And then something about how the hill rolled and how the trees were aligned, the thermals were taking my wind, my my scent, and it was going about 10 yards, and then it was making basically a hard left and following straight down the creek. Mm -hmm. And it was missing these deer by... 12 yards basically yeah. um well that just goes to show that you can get away with a lot you know yeah think about your scent as though it is water like flowing through the woods like you'll see water in a creek like how it hits a rock and how it how the water will go around the rock mm-hmm. your scent does the exact same thing mm-hmm. uh so getting something that will float for long ways that you can see like milkweed and dropping it and watching it just float down the bottom and watching it through your binos and seeing exactly what it does can really give you a lot of information on that spot like okay i can actually get away with this wind when it's uh, in these directions but if it cocks a little bit more this way then i'll get busted but going in there and figuring that stuff out like right now because i don't know about other places but here in alabama we we do experience a lot of southern winds in the winter time so i'll go in in the summertime and drop uh, milkweed and stuff and see what the wind does in my spot so I know what I can get away with when I go in there this fall and another thing is that you know I, I definitely think also when it comes to thermals I think humidity plays a big factor in that because if it's extremely humid your air your, your scent's not going to rise like it's, it's just not especially if, it, if it's like a kind of a high pressure uh, or no I mean a, a low pressure and it's just real humid it's going to stay stagnant and it's going to it's going to fall like even if it gets warm in the day, it's just so humid and the air is so thick, it really doesn't do a whole bunch. But if you get one of those days where it's a real dry day, real dry morning, uh, it, and again, have clear skies and have that higher pressure, I mean, you're, it's its unreal. I mean, like you said, if, if I had some, I need to go back to that spot in Arkansas, take me some milkweed, hunt one of those mornings, and just record what happens because yeah. it, it, it would be unbelievable. I mean, you're, you're sitting, your air column is 40 feet above these deer. I mean, when it when it's flying when it's flown out across that uh, that cut, yeah. uh, so it's stuff like that is just absolutely huge. And that's one thing, like you said. I mean, you can be testing some of that stuff out now, and kind of get a good idea of what's going on. And I remember reading a book. Uh, God, I forget who wrote it. Uh, what was the author? It's probably eight nine years ago. And uh, again, you know, you know, whitetail hunting, and he he talked about going out in the off season with a uh, smoke bomb, and light, oh yeah, lighting it in your area, kind of like where you're hunting. And or from a stand actually, and kind of you know do it on a certain day that maybe you would hunt that for you know you know say like you know you want a spot that's good for a northeast wind, 
and then light it and see what happens. And uh, you know, he said that he learned a lot from that just because of the way the you know the, the smoke you know kind of funneled because you know he was in one spot he said, and you know his smoke the smoke would go a hundred yards down from him, then all of a sudden he'd see it come back on the other side of the uh, other side of the creek. Yeah, and that's where he'd see some of the deer from. So he knows he couldn't hunt down that situation because you know kind of screw him. Yeah, man, going into that kind of detail makes a big difference. You might y'all might hear Zach tending the fire behind us. Yeah, we're well, Zach the fireman. We got we got a skillet and we got some butter and we got nothing to cook because we're some sorry fishermen. Well, we we got, we got some uh, free freeze burnt uh, mackerel. Is that what yeah? It is? We got some freezer burned mackerel that makes we could eat it, but. I think it makes better catfish bait than food. Yeah, no, it's been sitting out. I don't, I don't want to eat that crap. I'm good. I don't feel like getting sick, but... Oh, uh, uh, just adds to the experience. No, I'm good. I'll pass on that Make one. for a good story. Secondary fun. Uh, again, we're out here just chilling by the fire and trying to try and catch some fish. I'm not fishing. I got these two guys fishing for me. I'm over here just talking. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talking, sipping talking, on... Talking, hunting, man. Talking and sipping on Coors. I mean, it's kind of hard, kind of hard to beat that. Yeah. But, uh... Anyway, so I mean that's just another cool thing is just to kind of look at and kind of get a better idea of how the wind is affecting you in some of your areas. Um, I, I know a great good, good example we can kind of talk about this is uh, oh, there goes a car driving over the bridge. Got a system bumping. There you go. But uh, anyways, there's a spot that I missed a buck this year with my rifle. Took a shot. Took a shot that was you know outside of my comfort zone. Just again, kind of got worked up in the in the moment. And, um, you goofed. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, man. I, I was I was new boot goof, goofing. Oh, half rack buck come across there. Got your heart racing. Yeah, man. I mean, he's yeah. He was. Anyways. Didn't he have a half rack? I guess I don't know. I was so worked. Dude, up. I, thought I don't he had know two what racks. it is about that spot, but I think we saw seven or eight different mature bucks in that spot, and I think three or four of them had busted off an entire side of their rack, which yeah. is a real bummer. But I don't care. Some big buck here fighting in there, that, and that that means that shows that the 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 boat uh, buck to doe ratio is pretty pretty balanced. Yeah. Uh, if if not, maybe you know you know the buck the buck ratio is getting a little high. Yeah. Just because how you know how aggressive they are at fighting. But again, kind of big ta- getting back to that spot. Um, it, it, it's a location that's it's on a big gas, it's on a big power line, in this one spot that this buck was walking across which we've seen multiple other deer walk across on this one little ridge top it, it, it makes it kind of difficult to get to to hunt effectively but getting in there kind of figuring out the winds and getting figuring out the uh the idea of how the wind kind of swirls in there because the wind is going to swirl I, I i found a couple different trees in there that i could get in with you know whether it's my you know lone wolf uh assault or alpha actually i'm about to get an assault stand uh, I want that assault, man. Exactly, or something like that in like mid-season. You know, going in there in like November, December, and hunting some of these trails that are hopping this ridge. That really, there's no other way you could get in there. I'm, I'm talking. This is for an archery sit, okay? Getting in there and having those deer come so close to you and having you know the right wind, I think would be an absolute killer spot. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just it's in one of these corridors where these bucks are coming out this this you know pretty nasty creek bottom and they're going back into some really really thick 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 pines you know you know probably 10 to 15 year old pines are just kind of choked out with a lot of underbrush and that's where they're going back to bed and same thing with the does and you sit there on this little edge of this ridge and that the, the deer are working across it i mean every time i sit in this spot watching this gas line I always see deer cross right there yeah and i finally found a tree 
and I think I have the right wind to be able to go in there and be able to kill a deer. Uh, oh, man, I'm going to shoot a buck in there this December. I'm telling you, man. I guarantee it. If, if you went there early season, if you went there like in, God, first week of November down here. Yeah. When, the, you know, the bucks are starting to kind of like, you know, they're kind of all still together, but they're kind of starting to, you know, separate a little bit. And get in there with a doe group, man, you ought to be able to freaking kill a doe. I'm calling it, man, between December 1st and December 10th, I'm either going to kill or miss a buck in there. I'm calling it right now. And now that I said that, where's yep. some wood, man? I got to knock on some wood. There <laughs> we go. to burn it off. Knocking on some yeah, wood. Yeah, but the yeah, burned it Well, off. before we get off thermals, man, Zach, in that funnel we kind of alluded to earlier where I scared the heck out of those bucks with my camera, um, that's where you saw the big one this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the wind was going in there? Just tell about the whole hunt, too. How that hunt went down, because I think you had a crazy experience with that situation. I remember you texting me, dude, and you were freaking out. And I was pissed because I was not hunting. And I was like, man, and I wish I, I was in there. I mean, it was it was disappointing, but it was a learning experience, a huge one, because um, it really opened <laughs> my eyes to... Because I, th- I thought what I was doing was totally right, you know. I went in, and I, I thought I had a good understanding of the thermals, and I had a perfect wind, I thought. And yeah. It, that, that's just not how they moved in there and it wasn't just that buck I saw that morning it was it was each buck I saw this season in that area um, I, I don't know they just seemed to be moving opposite of what you would expect and what I came to find out was when I actually went back and studied up on thermals a little bit more that um, I, I'm almost 100% positive that was the biggest factor in not being successful because I mean it wasn't just that one big buck that busted me there. I mean, it was it was that one, and also I was sitting there. I think it was first day of bow season, and I had four or five does come through, and they came through the same exact route, and had perfect wind. Was right in my face. They were dead in front of me, and they didn't make it. You know, 70 yards away before they knew something was up, and they just kind of they, they scurried off quick. And that that opened my eyes to what I should be paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, man, I've had so many experiences where, I mean, a lot like that, where it's like, oh, the wind's perfect, and then they come in and they're, they get all squirrely. Well, another thing is, just because the wind's perfect for you doesn't mean the wind's necessarily perfect for what the deer want to do. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm one of those people that I, I, I believe, and I know some people might you know, believe the same thought as me and some might go against this thought is to be honest, if a deer is not extremely pressured, they're going to move in no matter what the wind is. I mean, unless they have a reason to legit be fearing for their life, which I mean, deer and most other, you know, animals like that are always looking, looking out for predators. But if they're comfortable with the area, they'll move there with pretty much any wind. Okay. As long as there's nothing super crazy out of the ordinary they're, they're going to move in the area if they're comfortable in the area that and that's that yep. is the thing with the spot that me and zach are going to tomorrow yep where we filmed the youtube video is i've never been in there and not seen a deer even when we went and scouted and filmed that youtube video we saw that little buck come meandering he came bebopping down the gas line not a care in the world yep. like a dummy but uh and, and that's another thing it's just like it's to be honest, guys, especially if you're hunting public land, I'm kind of talking about this right now, and you can really apply this, though, to if you're hunting a club or a lease as well with other hunters, is trying to find these pockets where, first of all, it, it sounds kind of, you know, 
everyone always says this. Try to find pockets where other hunters aren't. It's not necessarily that. Find pockets where the deer are comfortable moving, especially during daylight hours, okay? Especially during later on in the season. That's absolutely huge Yeah. for, for at least be able to see the deer, let alone be able to get opportunities to kill one. Can, can I add right here, like the spot we're talking about is, is, and I've got, I'm like about to be working on an article about this, is uh, like the quote-unquote pockets. And if I were to say that there's not other hunters in this area, I'd be lying. Yep. I mean, there's there's other people all over this area. In fact, two people we know shot bucks in this area that we're talking about where we've seen all these ones. But the specific spot where we film and everything, there's not really anybody in there, not in that one specific draw. And even in turkey season, man, this works in turkey season too. I killed my biggest turkey ever in a spot where everybody's hunting around it. With this one little draw, people aren't hunting in, and that's where they are. And it's just about finding where they're comfortable. And that doesn't mean being, you know, a mile and a half away from the nearest hunter. In this case, I'm only, at best, 500 yards from the nearest hunter. But that 500 yards makes all the difference. Yeah, and again, it's trying to find areas where the the animals are comfortable. And I mean, hunting that spot, you know, we definitely found kind of where the comfort level is especially you know some of the more mature bucks and it's one of those things that we're going to try to get even closer to the beds once you know we found those beds try to get closer to them and really be able to you know get better opportunities especially early on in the season try to harvest one of them um and that's that's another thing i mean i'll I'll give another great example here's one that just comes to mind so so the uncle that got me into hunting okay he he just finally was able to get into this extremely small little lease slash club with one of his other buddies that's really new to hunting, and there's a total, counting him, there's a total of five people in this in this lease. It's only 350 acres, but all the other four guys and, you know, some of their, some of their kids and everything, they only firearm hunt, first of all, and they only hunt fields. They don't hunt anything else. And they no. got, they, listen, they have like seven fields on this property, and that's all they hunt. And it is, I've seen aerial photos of this place, and it is absolute dynamite for an archery hunter. There are so many natural funnels when it comes to different terrain and the different uh, 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 vegetation, where there is literally, there is a hardwood ridge, okay? There's a hardwood ridge that drops off to this big pine wood, this pine forest bottom, okay? And there's these fingers just jutting off on these, these skinny little fingers. My uncle went out there and scouted every one of those fingers, and there's trails hammering the corner of them. Where you literally saw the corner of each one of those, and you're going to see deer. And he's running cameras out right now, and he thinks he's going to have a lot of success. Is this Anthony? Yeah, it's Anthony. He's going to kill one, man. And, and he's he's an absolute. He is tried and true, been able to kill a lot of deer in his life by doing that. I mean, he was kind of self-taught growing up. He actually grew up as a as a, a dog uh, hunts deer with dogs. That's how he kind of got introduced to hunting uh, whitetails. But ever since then, he's a hardcore bow hunter and. He knows what to look for, and he—I sh- mean, we looked on a, on a map, and it absolutely sets up perfectly for a bow hunter, for an archery hunter on this spot. And you know, good access, good entrance and exit routes, getting in there clean. He thinks he's got a pretty good idea of how the deer are working the area, embedding, and just seeing how much sign and how much buck signs in there—not just—not just tracks and droppings and just trails, but how much buck sign, huge scrapes running these little hardwood fingers. I mean, they're skinny fingers. He said they're twenty to forty yards wide. Yeah. I mean, you sit on the edge of it, and you're gonna be able to shoot the whole thing. And that's going to be his target this year is literally hunting these fingers of this one hardwood ridge that runs through there. And there's fingers on both ends of it. And no one else is hunting that because they're hunting these fields. And that's the thing. Just because you get in a club or get in a laser hunting some public land, if, if you can think outside the box and do something that the other guys aren't doing, that's how you're going to have success. And I know that's hard to do on public land because a lot of guys are, 
if they're serious about hunting public land, they're serious about getting out there and, and looking for some of the stuff we've already talked about. Yeah. But if you're hunting a club or a lease, you can really get away from a lot of people because a lot of people just want to hunt fields. They want to be they want to be able to park their truck and literally walk 100 yards to where they're going to hunt, which that's fine. I love that. Dude, I'll, I will get in a club like that all day long if that's what they're going to hunt like. If they're going to walk to fields, man, you will have so much more other property that you're going to be able to go in there and really hunt deer that they're pressured, but they're not pressured in that area, and they're going to act a lot more natural, and you're going to see a lot more daylight movement. And you're going to have a lot more opportunities at hunting and harvesting bigger deer, bigger bucks. Yeah. And my uncle thinks that he's going to have a ton of success just because that in that situation, that area. That brings to mind, uh, speaking about getting away from people and the clubs and everything, growing up, my mentor... Uh, Mr. Ben George and Colton George, one of my best friends, they had a club, and when he kind of took me under his wing after my dad died, um, this club was like the perfect, man, it was the perfect club. And for all you Alabama people who are familiar with where we're from, uh, it bordered Taney Hill State Park. Okay, so there's a lot of a lot of nice deer on it because, you know, a lot of these deer living on the state park, they get big, they get old, and... Uh, a lot of the guys, I think there was eight or nine members, and, you know, you have people show up for the work day, but me, Colton, Ben, our friend, uh, Mr. Bond, and Mr. Phil, the only ones that really hunted it, and we would get off the trails, man, and Colton, we're like 15 or 16, or no, I guess we were 16 at this point, we're uh, running cameras in a part of the club that nobody goes to, and a lot of clubs, that's going to be around the quote-unquote pin-in station, the check-in board. Nobody hunts there, or just anywhere that nobody hunts. And we're running cameras, and Colton got a picture of this deer, man. This thing looked like an elk. It was retarded big. He <laughs> was fat, and he was like a, we, um, what, oh man, what we name him? We had two big deer on camera. We named one of them Fubar, because uh, one of his antlers was like beautiful, like big, uh, like four-point side on one side, and the other side was basically a spike. And I accidentally passed that deer because I thought he was a spike. And then there was another one we called Pitchfork, which was the big elk-looking one. It was just this fat, giant deer, and his antlers just went straight out to the sides and forked at the ends. And, I mean, he literally looked like a freaking elk, man. He was crazy-looking. And that just goes to show, man, in these clubs, you have these overlooked spots, and nobody else is getting pictures of those deer. I, I got another. I got another. Was that lightning? I think it was. Oh, boy. Where was that at? I don't know. Well, we're about to find out. Well, okay. Well, these catfish better start biting. I'll tell, I'll tell you what, man. We're, we are we're, having a rough time. Yeah, man. The fishing, <laughs> they just don't want to play. But anyway, well, I got, I got another another aspect of that, okay? It's trying to, again, find places that a lot of people aren't hunting. So one of my uncles, another uncle of mine, had a lease in uh, Tuscaloosa County, uh, just north of Tuscaloosa. Actually, my bad. I think it was Fayette County, just north of the city of Tuscaloosa. Uh, it was about 570 acres, and the, the thing is, it was mostly all, um, I'm going to call like younger pines, probably like 10 to maybe 15-year-old pines, like small enough that, you know, the average guy's not going to hang a tree stand in it. I could probably get a tree stand in it, but you really couldn't hunt them because they were so kind of choked out. You really couldn't hunt that. You had to really hunt the edges of it. You had to hunt either field edges or you had to hunt creek bogs. Well, you had one major creek that ran straight through the property uh, like, like the northeast corner to the southwest corner, okay? And it had a bunch of little, like, you know, finger little draws coming off of it. And I found the one spot. I just, I told him I was going to come out there and hunt it. This was 2017, fall 2017. And I told him, actually, no matter, 2000, fall 2016. 
I told him I'm like before I come out there because I've never been there before. I want to I want to get the you know the, the address. And I want to look it up on on X, look at the property, look at the topo lines, and I'm gonna try to find my own spot because he was just gonna put me in a field. I'm like I don't want to hunt a field. I want to hunt some place that I'm gonna get one of these bigger bucks that he's got pictures of. Uh, and, and I found a spot where he had one field that the corner of the field, the field is just like square, okay, just general square. The corner, the north end of the corner, or north end of the field is a corner. It literally came up right to the edge of this really big draw, okay? And then you had pines up to the northeast. Oh, it was lightning. There you go. That's, that's going to be fun, see if it gets closer. But <laughs> but it was, a, it was a location where four different types of terrain, or four different types of vegetation kind of came together. You had a field, you had short pines <clears throat> on to the left, you had little older pines to the right, and then you had this hardwood draw bottom right there, okay? And I sat there right in that, four, in that corner, and not I only saw one deer that morning, and it was an absolute giant. By far the biggest deer I've ever seen in the woods, period. And if I probably would have had a bow, probably would get a shot off of it. But just to say, there's there's a, a thing that I think a lot of uh, guys in the south think that they have to have the biggest, baddest scope, which is not the case. Because when you're hunting someplace that your farthest shot was 70 yards, and you have a 6x24 power scope, <laughs> um, oh man! Let's let's just say this deer. Okay, so this deer is coming into me. Okay, and my uncle told me not to shoot. There's this one buck that he was a tight rack eight point that was you know about three year old that he really wanted to see what was going to happen next year. Well, I just you know this deer is walking up to me, walking across the ridge, and he's side hill, and I see he's kind of tight rack, but I, you know I see some tines, and I really didn't look at him I'm like oh, okay maybe it's this other deer. Well, then he gets broadside. I see how big his body is, and he turns his he turns his head towards me, and it is just trash. I mean, he's he's a tight rack. He's probably only you know 14 inches wide, maybe 13, 14 inches wide. But he's got tall, super tall tines, probably eight to 10 inch tines, and he's got trash off every freaking thing. I mean, literally tines off everything. It is absolutely crazy. And I, the second I see that, I'm like, oh, sh-. like I'm, I'm shooting this thing. I, I'm, I get my gun up, and he's only at 45 yards from me. Okay, I'm walking across. I had one big gap. In between all these saplings, I can shoot them. I pull up; it's on six or eight power, and all I could see was hair. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not able to just pull the trigger on this hair and see what happens. I know some guys probably would, so I kind of like put the gun down, try to readjust. And by this time, he gets down to the bottom, and I can't get the shot on him. He finally like moves off. I, I can't get on. Well, I, I talked to my uncle afterwards, and he's like, I kind of described it to him like I just described to y'all. And he's like, Is that seriously what you saw? I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Let me show you something. He had one picture of that deer. And is an absolute giant. I mean, tight rack, tall tines. And I mean, literally, tra- he's got bases. He, he got a picture of it. The bases are literally the size of like a water bottle. I mean, it, uh, like no no bull. This deer is. I, I, I would be lucky to see another deer like that. Free range deer in Alabama. I mean, in all honesty. And I freaking screwed it up. I don't even want to. I don't even want to guess on how much he'd score because it was definitely a non typical. But it was an absolute freak of a deer, dude. And uh, I did. I was kicking myself afterwards. But the, mm-hmm. but the whole point of the story is finding something like that on aerial maps to go in there and have yourself some success and be able to look for something that's really going to you know make that. And the thing was about that the, the, that corner of four different pieces of terrain that kind of came together is I, my thought was the deer can be bouncing around from all these different areas at that one corner. Mm-hmm. It just made sense for them. It to be able to work that side of the ridge, work the side of this draw, and there's also about 150 yards to my northwest for me. So that's really just straight in front of me was a, a big ridge point that kind of came off, and it was all clear cut. And it was all tall grass. I mean, the grass was about you know almost chest high. I'm like, there's gonna be deer bedding there. I had a northwest wind. I'm like, this has got to be the spot. 
and it was also like mid-December. I'm like, deer are going to be, you know, bucks are going to be looking for does. And absolutely, it, it, it worked out perfect, except I just, again, got to pull the shot off and got to make the opportunity. And that's when I downsized scopes. I went from a freaking 4 to 6, or 6 to 24 power to I'm running a 3 by 12 on my main hunting rifle. And I got a couple other scopes on a couple of my rifles I use. But, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely will not do that again. So that absolutely screwed me on the largest buck of my entire life. Um, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've never been in a situation where a three three to nine hasn't hasn't worked. Well, in yeah. a, and I think yeah. the clarity of the scope is more important than the actual zoom, and that goes for binoculars too. Yeah, um, I agree with that, man. It's it's just, well, I mean, with binoculars, you're not necessarily looking for specific. You're not trying to count points, nothing like that. You're just trying to locate. But I don't know. Uh, I, I know one thing is that, like you said, yeah, clarity glass is huge. And but another thing is, guys, and I think I think we're all taught this. To be honest, I think this is across the board. We're all taught this as hunters. Is the more zoomed in on a scope you can get, the better off the shot you're going to be. But the the problem is with that that with that thought, and if you really do a lot of target practice, target shooting, which I, I'm getting into long range shooting, is the the higher zoom you are, the more movement you see in the scope. So you might have it, you know, that deer might be 100 yards from you. You put on nine power, but you are literally bouncing your crosshairs across its whole chest. Yeah, man, I don't know if I've ever shot a deer at, like, full power on my scope. No, maybe, maybe in Wyoming. Well, well I'll, I'll say growing up, we did that. Like, I, I was hunting with my uncle, and we turned it up, dude, until literally all you could see was the brisket and the top of the back, and you just put the crosshair and you pull the trigger. Yeah. Which, that, that's not good. To, that's not a good way to learn because, first of all, it doesn't give you the confidence to – First of all, be able to practice and take a little longer shot, like a 200-yard shot or something like that, because you can't get that same, you know, that be able to zoom in so far. But another thing is you see so much movement that, you know, if you're shooting out of a tree stand, or if you're shooting out of a uh, shooting house or something where you have a, you know, a really stable platform you're shooting off of, that's fine. If you're shooting out of a tree stand or off the ground or free-handed, you cannot have it on nine power and try to take an 80 to 100-yard yeah. shot. I mean, literally, if you zoom it down, I've, I've done so much more shooting out on two and three power at 100 and 200 yards, I shoot tighter groups with two and three power than I ever could with nine power or higher. Yeah. There it is again. All right. Uh, yeah, talking about scopes. Uh, before we go on, uh, one of you fellers need to check your radar on your phone because it's getting pretty foggy. Yeah. And uh, I would, but my phone is deader than disco, as our friend Randy Newberg would say. But uh, kind of getting back on the subject of... of just deer in general, but deer scouting right now. Uh, let, let's kind of go into what we expect this year to look like for each of us. Like, let, let's kind of have a little, uh, go in a circle and kind of have a round table <laughs> on what we expect this deer season to be like based on what last season was like, maybe some adjustments we're doing. Uh, I'll say for me, to start it off, this year... Uh, I'm going to definitely hit the spot that we had all the mature buck encounters in last season. We're going to go in there, cut a trail tomorrow, hang a camera. My my plan right now, which this will definitely change, and you know, you make plans and they, they never really work out the way that you thought they would, but I think that I want to go in there, try and get pictures of just the deer in the area, see what kind of bucks are in the area, uh, see who's hanging around, maybe go back to those beds and see if they're being used and I want to go back to that bed 
backtrack out of it, find all the exit routes, and I would like to have a stand for each of those exit routes, each wind direction that could possibly happen. I want to hunt that stand maybe two or three times in the early season and then leave it alone until early December or whenever, or whenever the rut comes in this year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Hit it hard during the rut. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more careful about access, and I'm actually going to be a little bit more liberal with the wind directions that I hunt that with. Because I stayed out of there a lot last year, but now that I think about it, now that I understand the thermals more, I think I can get away with a lot more than I thought I could last year. So that's kind of that's kind of my idea of what this season's going to look like for me. Uh, Jacob, what do you have? I'll say hopefully this is not a repeat of my turkey season because the way I have it lined up is going to be, but hopefully that's not the case. Um, I already have a tag and license for it. Uh, Ohio so definitely we'll be uh, going back to Ohio southern Ohio do a deer hunt um, and you know definitely I'm gonna try you know I'm gonna get out in Tennessee you know moving to Nashville definitely gonna be hunting Tennessee so my game plan is to be able to hunt Alabama Tennessee southern Ohio hands down that's that's gonna be for sure that's you know some honorable mentions that you know may or may not happen is we got Kentucky um, you know, we have now connections with Kentucky on hunting some public land up there that, you know, would be very beneficial to us if we really want to be able to get that hunt done. Also have North Carolina with our buddy Greg Broadway uh, looking at getting on some public land deer up there along with his uh, couple farms. So that's another possibility. Plus their, their tags are pretty cheap and their licenses are pretty cheap, so that actually might be very doable for me. Uh, then we also have Georgia uh, hunting down there with Jordan Barnes, our buddy Jordan Barnes from Close Proximity TV doing some public land hunts down there for some absolute stud public land Georgia bucks um, and he's I know he's putting in a lot of work right now so that's also a possibility tags are kind of pricey uh, but that that might be worth it as well I also have another option for uh, our fourth or fifth option kind of lost count right now uh, to go to Arkansas and uh, do a couple hunts in Arkansas uh, that's that's another possibility their, their tags aren't their licenses aren't too outrageous, uh, and that might be a, a very good option for me. Uh, so, so this is doing that. I mean, just trying to stay busy and try to, you know, cover a couple of different states that I've never hunted for deer in. You know, first off being Tennessee, second off being Ohio. And Ohio, I'm extremely excited about Southern Ohio. I mean, it's exactly, my spot is exactly pretty much five hours on the dot from my apartment. Uh, so it, it sets up perfectly on doing a, Doing a drive, doing a hunt, doing a uh, you know a day and a half weekend hunt. Yeah, weekend hunt. You just you know going up there being weekend warrior, and I'm almost a hundred percent sure no one's hunting this one spot that I found because no one would want to go there. If you didn't have Onyx, you wouldn't even know about the property. First of all, second of all, if you did have Onyx, you would look over this thing in a heartbeat. I don't care who you are. I don't. I don't care if you're Randy Newberg. Don't I, say too much. Okay, maybe Randy might maybe Randy, Randy might think outside the box on that, but I'm telling you, it's it is one of these spots that. Looking on the map, it looks pathetic. Like, this does not look like we're going to. But once you get on the property, you're like, oh, boy. Now <laughs> now, now we're cooking with grease. Uh, so. No, no. It's now, we're, now we're cooking with chicken grease. Chicken, oh, not just any grease. No. We're cooking with chicken Heck grease. No, dude, it's, it's some pork fat. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, man, man cooking with some lard. There you go. <laughs> Got to get some black bear down this year. I know Andrew's talking about possibly going to Georgia. I don't know if that's even on the table still. Oh, I'm going to try, man. It black. depends. Me and Zach are probably getting cow elk tags this year. Yeah, uh, for Wyoming. So, 
But, you know, Zach, so, you know, what's, what's your game plan when it comes to this hunting this fall, when it comes to whitetail, and also what other options you got going, and, you know, just what's your game plan for this fall in general? Well, this fall, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to be at this, this public land parcel I've, I've been hunting. Um, can't get away from it. And it's like a bad girlfriend. You keep going back to it. Dude, you've been said that for freaking years now. It, it is so true. <laughs> Dude, it is so true. Man, you don't even have success, but you're like, boy, we're going back again, man, because there are a deer there. I don't know. She yeah. just she talks so nice to you. She and... teases you. She te- yeah, man. <laughs> she, 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 she gets drunk and calls you, but then when she sobers up, she don't want to talk to you no more. Oh, God, man. And, that's and there goes all the listeners. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Anyways, I don't know. Personal experience. Anyways, get back, get back to your story. <laughs> Yeah, definitely gonna be hitting public land here in Central Alabama. Um, and what Andrew kind of hinted to about um, Wyoming possibly for some some cow elk. Um, that's definitely on my bucket list. Um, if it doesn't happen this year, I, it it's gonna happen soon. Um, Mississippi's on on my list for this year. Cool. Uh, it's cool. gonna be Eastern Mississippi. I've been there before. It's some some private land. Um, I'm not sure how much. I'm going to be able to get done over there, but I'm at least going to branch out and try. And uh, I really haven't looked at any other states for this season. I'm, I'm going to try to keep it local and really focus on some some different spots and try to broaden my scope here. Yeah. So, you know, because, I mean, I'm, I'm able to get away from the house a good bit, but working Monday through Friday, I, I really want something reliable and close that I can just go hit, you know, if I get a free morning, I can go out there and see what happens. If I don't see anything, I don't. Uh, I don't beat myself up over it. So. Yeah. It's, well, something that you know you said that kind of like you know brings up a topic for me is for a while how I hunt in public land. I still kind of do this to be honest. I do a lot of first time sits where I've not have never been into an area before. And, and the thing is, a lot of people look down upon that. But to cover enough ground on public land, you have to do that. There's no way you're going out there and truly scouting all this, even in the preseason, because a lot of it, what looks like in, you know, the summertime looks totally different in the fall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the deer activity changes in the areas. They use it differently. The vegetation looks different. So I do a lot of first-time sits, and I've had success with it, especially for, first of all, locating deer and also be able to kill deer. Mm -hmm. And that happened last year, Andrew, when we were out there. I literally sat a spot that – on a topo map, it looks perfect. I'm like, deer are going to be working this area. We've already seen deer somewhere in that same area. And, you know, sat on the side of this little, small, small little little end of this little ridge. Um, and, and had a buck come by and was able to harvest them and make a great shot with my bow. And it's stuff like that. Is You know, to be honest, a lot of people have a fear. I, I truly believe this has a fear of sitting a spot for the first time and never been in that area. And it... I'm not going to lie, the first couple times you do it, you do kind of have like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. After a while, you're like, you get an idea of what you're looking for and what you what it looks like on the map, what it looks like on the topography map, and then also what you have experience with in similar areas and similar vegetation of how it's going to look once you get there. That's the biggest thing is understanding when you get in there. And to be honest, the best setup, hands down, to be able to do a, a blind running gun setup on public land or even on a, on, a, on a lease or on a, on a club, if it's a big enough club or something like that, is a mobile lock-on setup. Again, I, I personally use, and I know Andrew used to, you know, Lone Wolf Stands and Sticks, absolutely love them. You know, there's other great companies out there. I'm not going to dog anyone else. But something like that, a, a truly portable, lightweight setup 
or if you want to be a saddle hunter, that's probably even a better option to be on, especially early season, uh, to go out there with and be totally versatile. I mean, you can sit in pretty much any tree. If the tree's, you know, five and a half inches, six inches in diameter or larger, you can sit in the tree, no problem. And just getting in there and just hunting those spots, that's the biggest thing. And, I mean, I've had a ton of success to be able to see a lot of mature bucks doing that by going in there and, again, not really having a whole bunch of experience with the area, but I know what to be looking for. I get in there, find it in the dark, find a good setup, get up in the tree and be able to see deer. And, I mean, I've had success with it, and I'll, I'll continue to do that, especially hunting new territories. I mean, it's hard to be able to go out there and again, it, I think it's something about also outdoor television and just outdoor media in general. They always harp on, man, you got you got to go scouting, you got to go scout, you got to do this, got to do that, got to run cameras, got to do this. For that, I don't know for a lot of average guys that work a lot. Like I work, I mean, Andrew, you know, I freaking, I, I'm all about work. I, I work all the time. I, I try to get out in the woods whenever I can, and it's it's one of those things that if I could, you know, make more time for it, I would. But I've kind of got to the point where. You know, I, I, I scout when I can, and also I just look for what I need to be looking for on the map when it comes to uh, doing some of these blind sits, and I've had good luck with it so far, and I'm going to continue to do it. But the one thing is I'll say is once you figure out also when it comes to buck bedding and what to look for for buck bedding areas, I think you could truly do some blind sits on some areas where you think there are buck beds and be able to get in there clean and have good success with that. But either finding bucks or also be able to get the chance to harvest them. Um, and it's just one of those things you gotta kind of go in there and have the have the confidence when you go in there to know what you're doing and be able to go in there and you know have success. Yeah, man. You said uh, like first sits. This area that we keep alluding to that me and Zach are going to tomorrow. We did the YouTube video on it. The first time I ever sat that area, that's the day that I had that buck come by me at like 13 yards, but it was too dark to shoot. Mm-hmm. It was too early to shoot actually. It wasn't in the afternoon. It was in the morning. But uh. That was the first time sitting, man. I'd never really been in there before. I went in based on a topo map, uh, kind of walked in on a deer trail, got set up, and probably about 10 minutes before I could reasonably shoot with my bow, that buck came by at like 13 yards and broke my heart. <laughs> well, that's another thing is, like, also I think it's also about timing. I mean, you, you want to go into a spot at the right time you don't, you don't want to go too early especially to me honestly I, I would hate to go too early in a really good spot that i know bucks are really gonna be you know moving heavy in uh you know come you know january or late december uh so it's, uh, to be honest it's a lot about timing it's all about what you look for to be honest when i'm, I'm doing these blind sets i almost do more blind sets looking at just straight topo maps than just aerial photos, yeah. Because I, I, yeah. Because because I want to find these little pinch points. If I'm doing a blind set, I'm finding I'm finding a funnel of somehow. I'm finding a saddle. I'm finding a bench. I'm finding something that makes sense. Why deer is going to work there? Vegetation's a benefit too. If you can find a couple different areas where you know two or more pieces of vegetation come together, whether it's you know hardwoods like the classic you know southern uh, hardwoods meeting pines. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's the classic hardwood example. Or, or classic hardwoods southern. meeting a cutover, pines meeting a cutover. Yeah. Some kind of edge. And that's southern, that's a classic southern example. But the more the more edges you can have together in one area that kind of come together in one area, the more success you're going to have and the more deer you're going to yeah. be able to find. And that's also with turkeys. Turkeys same way and a lot of other animals as well. Um, so, I mean, one of the best spots I've ever found was it was a cutover that had pines and hardwoods all butt up against it. So it was a cutover. It had pines right here, hardwoods on the right next to it, all on the hard on the cutover. And dude, it was absolutely insane. So many deer you'd be able to see just because they they like the they like the, the variety. 
if you ever hunt some area that is just pure pine forest, you know, whether it's completely choked out or just totally just, you know, um, uh, pine straw everywhere, your deer number is going to be so much lower. But if you have a lot of different vegetation where you had some cutovers, you had some clear cuts, you know, some young growth coming up, you maybe had, you know, a couple different creek bobs going through there, you get some hardwoods, and all that kind of comes together, you have a lot more for, uh, variety for the animals to be able to feed on and a lot more, um, really just variety in general uh, to be able to have them uh, populate the area and be able to have a lot of experience. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Man, holy crap. Y'all keep hearing this on the hill behind us? Yeah. I'm hearing it. The old wood booger up there. I can't hear nothing. About to get us. We're about to burn out the freaking light, dude. You need to get the fire going. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Keep hearing something. Probably a coon. Shoot that coon, throw him on the fire. Well, the fire is... I think we talked about eating coon in one episode. I don't we, remember. Yeah, we did. Uh, coon meat is, is not that bad. I've heard, I don't know. It's I've, real greasy. I'll, I'll say I, I have yet to have it, and I'm not looking forward to eating it, so how about that? You're not looking forward to it? Heck no. What's wrong with you? Unless you cook it in a decent way. I don't know, man. I don't cook anything Throw some in a morels. way. Throw some morels on there. That'd be good. I've never even tasted a morel. I know. Good point. <laughs> man, you, I'll tell you what. You can get that fire going. Cause you, you're dropping the ball right now, man. Oh, man. man we got straight. We got, well, hey, what did the radar say? I, I, you can't, you can't uh, even look it up. I don't see anything. I, I see stars, so I think we're good. Yeah, all right. I well, see, it, it works for me, man. That, that southern radar. I'm looking up. I see stars. We're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Plus my plus my backpack's waterproof, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, about man. It. Uh, we, we were just on the river, Ohio River, with Kevin Murphy and a couple other people, and we were riding on the boat, and we got a pretty nasty storm rolling up, and uh, one of the guys in the boat with us was like, "Yeah, I think it's about two hours away," and then we all look up to the right, and the sky's just black, and there's lightning. We're like, "Man, it's right there. <laughs> we better get back pretty quick." Yeah, that's uh, yeah. You're right. That I mean, was a fun week, man. It was a fun week, but I mean, you know, kind of back to this. You know, it's it's all about trying to get super excited about deer hunting. I mean, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to look at other options and uh, you know try to have new experiences. I, again, I'm all about trying you know different stuff. You know, hunting different areas, trying different tactics, and just trying to see what really works. And you know, having a good time while doing it because I'm all about the adventure. Again, kind of like us planning our caribou hunt in a couple years. Trying to get all that lined up right now is, you know, stuff like that. And I kind of just, I also kind of made some other uh, goals I want to do about some other crazy hunts uh, in the next couple of years, which I guess we can talk about that on a later episode. But I don't know. I'm all about the adventure. I'm all about trying something different, going hunting different states, hunting again different ways. And again, hopefully we'll be able to bring more of that this fall, especially with other hunters that's done the same thing and you know had success. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, man. Uh, well, I guess we've ran about long enough, just about. Uh, fire's burning out. Catfish Don't have, want to have uh, went home. <laughs> They're not here anymore. Yeah, when you go noodling for them, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Get old Jakob stick his hand up in there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we'll Jacob see. Jakob and A-Town, there you go. Jakob and A-Town, that's for Jordan Barnes right there. But, uh, well, I guess we'll end this. Jacob, you got any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Um, ready for deer? Oh, man. I'm, I'm ready for something. I'm ready. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to go shoot a pig in next month. We got to we gotta go out. I'm, I'm packing some 10 millimeter, and we're about to go kill some pigs, dude. Yeah. I know you want to kill one with a bow, but I don't care. I'm, I'm killing some firepower. Uh, I want to shoot one with my shotgun with that apex dude we're, get, we're getting that yep. baby shot baby shot yeah 
Hopefully, it, hopefully we'll get some of I, that. I was talking to Jason from uh, Apex, and he was telling me that at 40 yards broadside, shooting in the shoulder, it will shatter both shoulder blades. Are you serious? On a, on on a, a hog. On a 150-pound hog, shatter both God, shoulder blades. God, man. That's crazy. Because he, he said they went out, uh, Troy Cook from MFK Game Calls, they went out and did a hog hunt after they got some of that BB shot, and literally at 40 yards by 150-pound hog, broadside, shattered both shoulder blades. That's nasty. So, I'm, dude, I'm excited. I mean, dude, they're killing deer with them, too. I mean, dude, they're putting... With BB shot. No, actually, that's with two shot. Uh, we're two le- shot? We're illegal. People shoot ducks with two shot, man. We're illegal and actually, like, having no issues with it. But, I mean, that BB shot's absolutely nasty, dude. I'm ready to shoot some hogs. Oh, my god. But, yeah, yeah, 10 millimeter and some BB shots go in and kill some hogs. I'll tell you what, man. I wonder what you could do with double-lot buckshot and uh, that tungsten. Armor piercing. There you go. Yeah, you shoot through a concrete slab with that stuff. Man, you, man, you talk about, yeah, you talk about clear a freaking barricade, man, yeah. strict military aspect, which, fun fact, they're actually working on some possible military contracts and uh, uh, police contracts right now. That'd be cool. So, yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's kind of cool. Kinda is, that, cool is that your concluder? I, I, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've just been rambling for about an hour and a half now. Uh, so, well, that's good, Zach. Concluder. <laughs> um, I mean, I've enjoyed it. This has been a great experience. This is my first time on the on the podcast, and I yeah, hope, being exposed to the trillions and trillions. <laughs> trillions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole population of the world just heard you hey. the first time. Oh my God, the entire what planet. Matter? I'm over here dropping even camera. a couple Martians. A couple Martians. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they learned anything, but I hope they had fun with us. Yeah, man. Hope so. Hope hopefully, so too. hopefully, me and you will get on some deer this year, man. We'll be hunting together a lot this year. Oh man, for for me, I guess concluder. I don't know, man. I'm just ready for deer season. Ready to get scouting, and these next few episodes going to be focused on whitetails, focused on hunting deer. Uh, if any anybody out there has any suggestions on things they want to hear about. Be sure to let us know. You can email us. You can reach out to us on Facebook. We've already got several suggestions. Uh, Keep them rolling in, guys, because we want to talk about what you want to hear. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating on whatever avenue you listen to, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, soon to be, hopefully by the time this airs, iHeartRadio and a couple others. So... We'll get that rolling, but uh, yeah, we'd appreciate it if you could leave us a review. Let us know what you want to hear, and uh, we're going to keep on rolling, man. we got some big news coming out when we get closer to deer season. We're going to keep that under wraps until probably September or August. Yep. We'll see. Yep, and yep. You know what I'm talking about, Jakob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. So, willing and dealing. It's going to be a good time. But anyways, guys, all right, on that aspect, guys, we appreciate you listening on this episode. Until next time, have a good evening. Alright guys, hope you enjoyed that one. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on whatever media you listen to. And with that being said, we will see y'all next week. Be looking for our episode that drops next Monday. We will announce our our big new program that we're going to be doing for deer season. So y'all let us know what you think, and we'll see you next Monday.
right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast. This show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.